welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I'm really excited for another guest joining us today. So everyone listening, please welcome Maggie Hansen, founder of Blush. Maggie, how are you today? And what gets you excited about life? Thank you for having me. So my current project that I am working on, I have a company called Blush Emergency Period Kit. And so right now I am trying to bring education and security to that tween, teen age group, you know, revolving around periods, essentially. Um, I know it's not a super fun topic to talk about all the time, and sometimes it can make people a little nervous to tackle, um, especially as parents. But I'm trying to bring a little bit, um, you know, make it normalized and just bring them a little bit of comfort as they're heading back to school. That's awesome. I really admire how someone takes an idea and runs with it. And it's very rare to find someone who crosses that gap between an idea and actually building things. So how did you first get started in all of this? And was it something you were planning for a while? Or did it strike you like a moment of lightning and you just decided to go for it? So if I rewind to why I started the whole process, um, my oldest daughter, do you guys have kids? Do either of you have kids? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. So someday if you have kids, you know, especially if you have a girl, that day is going to come. You're going to have to tackle this issue. You know, it's been around since humans have been around. So um, my oldest child is now 14. And when she was going into sixth grade, um, which was she's about to start high school right now. So about three years ago. I had to tackle that because I had a sense, you know, okay, probably in this sixth grade year, it's going to happen. And I didn't want her to not feel prepared. So I went looking for something to kind of equip her because you never want to be stuck in that position where all of a sudden it's a big surprise, especially at school. You know, that's so horrifying for any sixth grade, fifth grade girl to have to encounter. And so I went looking for something and I really couldn't find what I was looking for. Um, and so I kind of created my own little makeshift one just for her. I just created one kit that had all the elements that I felt a girl needed to kind of tackle that day. You know what I mean? That first day to like get you through that day and then come home and obviously be able to communicate with mom, dad you know, stepmom, guardian, whoever is taking care of you. Hey, this is what happened. But guess what? I had it under control. So I created one for her and it went well. It did exactly what I wanted it to do when that happened for her. Luckily, um, in her situation, it happened during summer. And so she was actually at my house. But I was gone. I was, you know, out of the house running errands. And so when I got home, she told me, Mama started a period. 
But don't worry, I had my kit and my backpack, got it out, and I'm fine. So fast forward to 2020, and we all know what happened in 2020. You know what I mean? world went on pause big time, okay? So I had a lot of time to kind of sit and think. And I said, you know, I want to put this out there. This works so great. I have another daughter that's going into sixth grade right now. And I just felt like I wanted to get it into hands of teens, tweens, parents to make that transition easier. This is such a fantastic idea. I don't have any kids of my own yet, but, you know, being a guy, obviously, we don't go through the same challenges that young teenage girls would go through. But as you experience and you know how difficult it could be for them, you can't really picture it because I can imagine it could be very, very difficult. So knowing that you created something that you felt that was a need and you know that there's a need for it. And I think it's brilliant, perhaps quite globally, because there are some times in societies that it's even more difficult to talk about. And I think this will make it a lot easier. It'll make the transition more comfortable in a way, in the sense of how to deal with it when it happens the first time. And I'm generally impressed and happy that you took the step to put it out there, because I don't know of anything out there that's similar to this. When I went to look for, you know, something to equip her with my first daughter, what I found was there was kind of two categories because it has, you know, been done in a sense. And so what I found was they either had kind of these educational boxes that were pretty high priced, you know, around like the $50 price point. And it was more of like an educational tool for a mother to present to her daughter, but it wasn't like a necessity that she could just take with her. You know what I mean? It was more of an educational tool. Or I found, you know, if you go on to the Etsy shops or things like that, I found some other little bags that kind of had a few of the necessities, but it didn't have everything I felt that they really needed to, like I said, tackle that day and feel equipped and feel comfortable. And another thing that I did with my kit was I placed everything in a three ring pencil pouch. So if you go on the website, blushemergencyperiodkit.com, you'll see I have four different colors so that depending on your child's personality, do they want blue, pink, you know, what kind of girl are they? But I put it in a three ring pencil pouch on purpose because like I said, you never know what day this is going to happen. It's a surprise. You know, it's one of those surprises in life that's not the best surprise, but it happens. And so, you know, if you have a couple things in a little bag, it could get shoved to the bottom of your backpack over that school year. And by the time that day happens and you're going through the back of your backpack, it's all wrecked in the bottom of your backpack, right? You know, it's all destroyed. So my idea with the three ring binder is it stays in their binder. Everything stays intact. It's as perfect the day you bought it as the day that you go to use it. And also, I included and created these educational pieces that come in the kit. So everything is spelled out for the child from start to finish, how to use each product, what to do, 
which I felt would be great for, say, somebody like a single dad. You know, I mean, some dads, that's a hard topic to reach sometimes. I mean, you know, depending on the child's personality. So if you have a particularly shy child, they might not necessarily want to be as open with you about it. But, you know, I wanted to create something for the parent that maybe has a harder time connecting or talking to a child about these personal issues to be able to hand them a kit and know they have all the tools and the education that they need right there at their fingertips. For me, this struck me just being a mom and a parent. You know, I mean, I saw the need. My personal story, since you guys haven't experienced periods and you probably don't have a lot of stories about them, I have lots. I mean, if you talk to any woman on this planet, guaranteed they have at least one story where they were caught off guard or, you know, something happened. And so for me, personally, um, when I was in sixth grade, was when I first started my period, I had nothing. I was not prepared in the least. So typically, that's typically how it is for kids. And then they go to the nurse's office. And then, you know, sometimes they give you some you know, giant pad that they would give you after you have a baby and nothing's comfortable and nothing is geared towards making the child comfortable. It's just, okay, what's cheap? What works? You know, what are we going to have stocked in the nurse's station? Right. So something like that happened to me and I was completely caught off guard. And my mother at the time was back East taking care of her dying father. And so she was nowhere near to help me. She was in Maryland. I was in California. I was a very shy kid. I didn't like to talk about these things. It was not open conversation in my household at that time. I think a lot of things have changed in families for the most part. So I do think there's more talkability around this issue, but it's a hard topic. You know, it's a little bit embarrassing. And so when I went home, my mom wasn't there. There was no way I was going to tell my dad. No way. Not even a chance. And so I had to call a friend and her mother actually brought me pads and medicine and anything I needed to kind of get me through those first days because there wasn't anything at my household. My mom had had a hysterectomy and so she didn't keep anything like that in the house. You know, she hadn't had a period in years. And so I was really just kind of by myself. And then sadly, you know, when she got home, I still didn't tell her. I never told her that I started my period. And I just kind of figured out ways to, you know, get what I needed because I was so, I was so embarrassed. And it wasn't until probably six months down the road that she asked me, you know, I'm sure she discovered it some way because moms figure stuff out, right? And so it wasn't for six months that she realized, oh, you started your period. And I, when I had to tell her, yeah, it was when you were back east. I mean, it really hurt her feelings. She felt like she wasn't there for me when she needed to be because she was taking care of her dying father. And it really affected her. And I want to be that person. You know, had she preemptively given me something and she felt like I was prepared, And she had to go do what she had to do in life because as parents, right, some of us have to travel. I have to travel for work sometimes, you know, to know that, okay, if this happens, whether I'm 
1,500 miles away or 50 miles away, my child's covered. You know, I don't have to worry about her. And that's kind of the fullness of my backstory of wanting to fill that gap for those parents so that they never have to wonder, are they going to have what they need? Do they know what to do? Am I going to feel like a horrible parent when I'm not there? Because parenting's hard. Yeah, I can imagine being absolutely difficult, especially in such scenarios. And you sharing your story with us reflects that. Like you said, you're not going to always be around your child. So you travel, you'd be away for business. You could be even just at work during the day because it's summer vacation or summer holidays. So that's the case with your daughter is that she was able to use that kit when you weren't around. And you made your child prepared for that scenario and makes you feel better that you were there even though you weren't physically there. Exactly. You know, I want to give that security to not only the kids, but to the parents as well. You know, we want to protect our children from trauma. We want to protect our children from horrible experiences or just being embarrassed, especially during that time. You know, I have two boys and I have two girls. So I have four kids, all different ages, ranging from eight to 14. So I haven't experienced those preteen years a lot goes on, you know, they're learning and they're interacting in different ways with people than they ever have before. Hurtful things can be said. Our words have the power to really build people up or tear people down. And I feel like those middle school, high school times, they're really experimenting with a lot of that stuff. And they have to learn that their words have power and to build people up. You want to be able to protect your child. And you can't be with them 24-7. You can't. You know what I mean? And so what can we do to, you know, limit some of those kind of embarrassing situations? And this was one that I felt like I could tackle, that I could actually make a difference. So was that three-ring binder idea there on version one, or did it come over many iterations of the product? What was that creative process like where you got to a design from start to finish? Um, I had my three ring binder idea pretty much immediately because of when I, from personal experience, from being a girl in high school to having pads and tampons shoved in the bottom of my backpack and then having them be all crumpled up by the time you needed them. So as a woman, I have experience with what works, what doesn't work. And so looking for a solution for a girl they're not going to be as careful. They're not going to think about it and be like, oh, don't smash my little bag at the bottom of my backpack. So I was like, what can I do? So the three ring pencil pouch was my first. I was like, all right, that's my carrier. You know, that has to stay upright in a binder. It's discreet. You know, you can't see through my bag. And so nobody has to know what's in there. You know what I mean? So when they're flipping and open through their binders, Nobody is like, oh, what's that? Or can see something through it and it's so embarrassing. They would just think her school supplies are in there, right? And the other great thing that I thought is if it happened in class, if a kid grabs their binder and goes to the bathroom, no one's going to suspect anything because what's our worst fear is these old tweens, right? Oh my gosh, I have to grab my little bag. Everybody's going to know what's in there. I'm going to be going to the bathroom. Somebody's going to see. I mean, these are the things that we think about as girls, as we're developing our own confidence, developing as individuals and becoming women, right? Like we have to gain that confidence and not everybody 
comes out of the gate like that. And so for me, I'm like, okay, how can we build their confidence right out the gate where they can grab their little binder, they don't have to be worried about what's in there, and they head to the bathroom. No questions asked. So for me, that was definitely the first one. When I first developed this idea, I wanted to go big. I wanted to be everywhere. You know, I'm thinking, how am I going to climb that mountain of getting my product out there and what retailers do I want to carry it? And it's overwhelming. You know, as a business starter entrepreneur, it's definitely overwhelming. And one day I sat down with Brian, who you did an interview with, I think a few weeks ago. But I sat down with Brian last year and he said, why do you have to make a million of them to start? You got to start small. You got to start somewhere. You have to get to market. That was his advice. You know, you're holding yourself up because you think, how am I going to get to A to Z? But you need to think about how to get A to B. And that was really an aha moment for me because I thought the only way to get into business and really build one is I had to get A to Z immediately. And so he kind of talked me off that cliff because I was kind of frozen. I just was like, I've got this idea. I have all this passion. I have this drive. I want to make this happen. And the mountain seemed too big. So once you grasp that as an entrepreneur, like, okay, the A to B move is okay. And then the B to C, or maybe you skip to F. I don't know what that looks like for each individual. But for me, it was about just being willing and brave enough to say, all right, what's my very next step? What an epiphany moment where it all just makes sense. So do the small things one by one. A lot of people I know always think you need a lot of money to start a business or you have to go to the right schools, but you're living proof that you really just need the passion, the drive, and that focus to put it all together. So I just want to say that's absolutely amazing. Really proud of you and especially balancing everything, you know, being a mom and putting it all together just really goes to show that if you have the right spark and the right drive to do something that you feel is really important, I think really the only thing holding you back is yourself. And you are proof that anyone out there with an idea who wants to make it happen can and should try it. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot to juggle out there, especially with what's happening with schools and kids. I had to homeschool all my kids last year, four kids, four different grade levels, all learning different things at different times. But you know what was so great about it is, you know, when the world slowed down like that, and all my kids were home, even though it was a little crazy at times, not gonna lie, but it gave me almost like that downtime when the hustle and bustle is taken away. When, you know, I'm not driving four kids to school every day and then four to five hours later picking them all up and then taking them to lessons and then going grocery shopping and then trying to throw in a load of laundry. You know, it took a lot of that go, go, go out of it. And it made me kind of sit back and appreciate who my kids were, you know, and I just got to enjoy my kids and really see where their learning was. It was a real big eye opener. Because, you know, when you send your kids to school and you are just letting the teachers do their jobs, they do a great job. 
you're not actually getting to see what your kids are doing, right? I mean, really, you're just depending on the teachers and then maybe they come home with homework. But at my kids' grade levels, they didn't really come home with a lot of homework. And so, you know, I felt like that year was a giant reset button to kind of reevaluate what's important in life, what you make time for, what you make space for. And I think that happened for a lot of people. I mean, I think across the board, a lot of people when faced with what we were faced with in 2020 said, oh, I don't have to have that part in my life. That really wasn't necessary. Why have I been dwelling on that? You know? And so for me, now coming out of that, and now my kids are going back into school, I think I will have a new perspective on what are the important things that I need to spend my time on and what things can easily be dropped and then not be afraid to drop them. Also, as a parent and a mom, I maintain most of the house, laundry, my kids help, but things like that. As a mom and a business owner and a chauffeur, um letting some things go, you know, if you've got that pile of laundry on the floor, it can wait till tomorrow. If you've got those dishes in the sink, maybe it's more important that you sit down and help your kid with some math problems, or maybe you need to drive them to wherever they want to go. But that year just taught me to just really not sweat that small stuff that sometimes would weigh on me a lot. I feel like we all kind of learned those skills in 2020. I mean, do you guys feel like that, that you kind of took some stuff away where in 2020 you realized, oh, I don't really need that in my life? I couldn't agree more because that's exactly what I've been through is I did have a bit more time to myself and realized that there's so much more I can do, so much I can focus on personally, one of which actually is John and I starting this podcast. So this is absolutely true. And 2020 taught me at least to prioritize, like you said. So. You know where to put your time, where to invest your time, you know, spending more time with your children, whether it was with their education or doing things around the house or focusing on your business. So you know that it's not the end of the world if you didn't do something right away. Maybe it was laundry, you can maybe push it an hour or two or whatever the case might be. So the idea is you were able to prioritize and actually use your time more efficiently and effectively is at least what I've experienced. And it seems to me that that's what you've experienced as well. Yeah, I would say not even much time efficiently, but where you want your time, you know, choosing where your time is being spent, you know, and not putting an idea on, oh, but this isn't as important as this. No, I deem me sitting and sourcing product and working on blush and, you know, developing my website, that is important over name it, you know what I mean? So okay, today, it's more important for me to sit here and play go fish with my kids, than it is for me to work on my website, you know, just being able to say, I choose this over this, you know, before 2020, we had the lists of to do's. And now it's kind of like, no, those are flexible. They're a lot more flexible in my eyes. You know, another thing that I kind of had envisioned when I started Blush is I felt like I needed to go straight from a B2B business. I did not envision myself just doing B2C. And that's where I think that comes in with my starting at your step A, jumping to Z. For me, I thought, okay, here's A, and now I need to be a business, a consumer business, 
that was my beat, but I didn't have that vision. I thought, okay, in order to be successful, I have to go B2B. I have to be selling wholesale to Targets, to Walmarts, to Rite Aids. You know, I'm thinking these big, big terms, right? And that was very overwhelming. And so when I realized, you know, I can start selling direct to customers and that's okay. That's okay. So that's where I am right now. I sell direct to the consumer and it's been great. It's been far less stressful for me. Just getting the name out there, that's probably the hardest part. And that's probably where most businesses have the hang up is just, okay, how do we get the name out there? How do we bring awareness to this product, to this idea? Because for me, as soon as it gets into the hands of a parent or a teen, they love it. You know, I don't have to sell this product. When you talk to so many moms that, you know, have received this kit, they email me, they call me, they talk to me and say, oh my gosh, if I had this, if I only had this, and they tell me their story. Because if you go talk to women around the globe, every single one of them has a story. You know what I mean? And some of them are more tragic than others. And so that's where I am in my business right now is just trying to focus on getting the word out there, advertising, selling directly to the consumer, and I'll figure out how to become a B2B business later. I'm not there yet. And I think it's okay as an entrepreneur to say, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there. So that moment when someone actually takes a product and says, I love it. Why haven't I had this before? The fancy term is called product market fit. And that is where you know you have something that's going to be successful and that people actually want. And, you know, the whole thing about reinventing yourself, it's amazing. You're right. How many people's lives have gone upside down? I had a couple of clients of mine, one who was an engineer, he got laid off and got into deck building. He started building his own deck. And a couple neighbors later, he started his own business and he started doing it with his own design, his own margins. And it's basically a career change for him. And it came out of nowhere, but he's happy. He's enjoying it. It's a nice reset amidst all the craziness. And I think no matter what age, if you find a spark, you should lean into it. You should say, this is good for me. I'm going to explore this. I'm going to try it. and Without trying to make it sound too grandiose, I think just the whole step-by-step thing makes sense. Yeah, I believe that. And it's about finding a business, you know, like your client did with deck building, things like that. Everybody wants to feel like they are in control of their own destiny, you know, whatever that looks like to them. And for me, as a mom, it's hard for me to work a nine to five job. I don't have an older child that's driving. And so I have to do the driving. I don't have a lot of family around that can just babysit and watch my kids. That falls on me, right? And so for me to feel in control of my own destiny, I thought, how do I support my family? How do I contribute? What's the best way I need to work for myself? How do I do that? And So that definitely is a driving force because for me, you only have your kids with you 
it feels like forever. But when you're raising kids, you know, especially those first couple years, it feels like it's never going to end. You know, you're going to have kids forever. And then very quickly, as your kids start to grow, like I said, my oldest daughter, she's going to high school. I have four more years with her. That is really insane before the potential that she's going to move out. She's going to go to college. She could do anything she wants in her life, right? That then, you know, my time with her, I have to kind of say, okay, you know, fly little bird, you know, go into the world, figure out what you want to do. And as a mom, I mean, that is really kind of crazy because, you know, you see them, you have contact with them every single day for, you know, many, many years. And then all of a sudden it's like your contact could dwindle down to, you know, a week, a year. So, I mean, for me as a mom trying to figure that out and confront that head on is kind of crazy. And so you think like, okay, I've got four more Christmases with her in my house. I've got four more birthdays. You know what I mean? When you think about it like that, you know, it's hard not to get a little bit stressed out as a mom. But what is great is I said, how do I get the most out of that time? What do I need to do to get the most out of that time with my kids? And for me, that says I need to work for myself. I need to be able to call my own shots. I need to be able to say, oh, she has a school dance today. I'm not going to work. I'm going to get her ready for her dance and do her hair and do her makeup and go get her her flowers. And I'm going to spend that whole day with her. You know what I mean? And having that freedom to choose, like I said, you know, where you put your time. That's what really drove me as a mom. How can I work for myself so that I don't have to sacrifice my kids and my time with my kids for work? I wanted to find that balance because at the end of the day, your family and your children, I mean, that's top priority, right? That's the most important. I think if you asked anybody, any day, you know, when we leave this world, we can't take our businesses with us. You know, our businesses aren't the ones sitting with us at the end of life. It's your family. It's your children. So. For me, I thought, how do I work? What do I do? What do I have to offer this world? And still have that time that I want with my family and my kids. This is amazing. I love how the way you shared it, because this is exactly why I myself am doing this. I'm sure John is, everyone else is. You're not pursuing your business and your passion, perhaps, because of the money, although it's, it's a, a bonus. It's a necessary evil in this world, Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's not the money that we're after. It's the freedom that it gives. So mm-hmm. I don't care to personally have a huge mansion, a huge house, many cars. That's not what I'm after. What I'm after is I want to have time for myself because that's the one thing I can buy. And mm-hmm. that way I can spend it more with the people that I love doing the things that I love. So this is what we're after. It's the freedom that it gives you. And the only way you can get that freedom is if you call your own shots. And that's what you're doing. That's what we're trying to do. And everyone else does. So beautiful stuff. Yeah. And then obviously trickle down as my business grows, being able to offer as I have to maybe bring on people to assist me in the business. Right now, I can run my business with my husband and then some help from Brian and myself. It's at the beginning stages of its life. But for me, I look forward to when my business grows and expands, being able to offer that freedom to other people that I bring alongside of me, being able to bring on jobs and opportunities that equally have that freedom, 
for other moms, for maybe younger girls, maybe in their early 20s that are looking for a job or a career, but being able to kind of redefine what that looks like to be an employee and give them that freedom because I don't think it always has to be so rigid all the time. You know what I mean? I think as sometimes these businesses grow, their expectations on people get a little bit unrealistic. And I think there's a balance between obviously you need to hit certain goals to be able to grow your business, but then also know that life never stops. You know what I mean? So just to find that kind of sweet spot in there, because like you said, you can't buy time back. Nobody can. So if you miss your kid's graduation or little ceremony, or if you don't get to see your daughter go to that dance because you were in a board meeting, Zoom meeting, you name it, that moment is gone. And so for me, I am being faced with that pretty rapidly as my first goes into high school. It really hit me this year. Just, oh, there's no going back. You have your memories, but you know, you can't get back that time. It was a little bit difficult to build only because I really wanted everything to be just perfect and exactly what I wanted it to be. And so again, with the big steps, getting to market, I have visions, visions of what I would like the product to develop into and different things I would like it to grow and different avenues and educational pieces, things like that, that I still am working on. But just being able to say, what can I build with what I have now? For me, that was not about taking out a $50,000 business loan. You know, for me, my financial stability is important. And so I said, okay, here's the resources I have. Here's the amount of monetary value that I have that I can give to this business. And how can I make that happen? And so just being very careful with those choices, because I find a lot of people who kind of dive into this business, they want to go straight to Z. So they say, what do I need to do? I need to get a business loan. I need to take out all these funds. And then they're already starting negative, right? I never wanted to go there. That was an overwhelming thought for me of starting a business and being already in the negative. So here's what I have. Can I get started with this? Okay. Yeah, I can. But it took some figuring out, you know, it didn't happen all at once. You know, I really admire, I've been following Sarah Blakely for quite a while. I watch her posts. I read what she writes. She's the CEO of Spanx. And her story is amazing. And I watch what she's done and what she's built and how she's overcome obstacles in the women's clothing industry, where everybody told her no, but she had to start somewhere. You know, she had never designed women's clothing or, you know, sewed anything in her life. And she said, but there's a need. I see a need. And why can't this be done differently? Everyone said, no, it can't, can't be done differently. You know, you can't fix it. This is how it's been. And she said, but I see the need. And then she pursued that dream. And I wish I could talk to her in real life, like in person. I wish I could say, what was your step A to B? Like, I wish more people would say what that first step was. For me, that A to B was I built a hundred kits. That's all I did. I built a hundred. I said, what can I do right now? How many can I build? I can build a hundred. And then those sell. And you say, okay, now I can build 500. Okay, I take that money. Now I can build a thousand. And it builds and it starts growing. But 
I would love to say, what'd you do? What was your step A to B? Because you you think that you need all this monetary value, you know, $50,000, $100,000 to start a business. Maybe you only need a thousand. Maybe you only need 5,000 to make that dream a reality. So I think it's just coming back down to basics. What's that first step that's not going to get you in trouble necessarily? I mean, I don't have anyone to bail me out. I don't think most people do. And that's why I think it's scary to jump off that ledge. It's scary to say, what can I do for myself? Because truth be told, we don't all have a million dollars in the bank account. Yeah, that's exactly it. And Sarah's story with Spanx is very, very interesting and very inspiring to say the least. So I know where you're coming from. And actually, which leads me to my next question, something I wanted to ask. How long did it take to prepare this kind of product? When was the moment that you said to yourself that this is a need, I need to make something out of it to the point of you actually producing first hundred units, let's say? Um, okay, let me think about this. I'm trying to think of the timeline because, you know, all of us kind of forgot the calendar last year. You know, you didn't even know what day of the week it was, hardly what month it was. From start to finish, from when I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I purchased my domain name. That was the first thing I did. I went on GoDaddy.com because where else are you going to go? And I purchased my domain name. I purchased a few of them. And from that point, I have to check, hey, is my domain name even available, right? And then going through the trademark process, I can say that was the hardest part because you have to find a lawyer and you have to trademark your logo, trademark your name and things like that. That was the hardest part. That's what held me up the longest. So I submitted my trademark at the beginning of January 2020, right before everything hit. I did not get my trademark back um, till almost the end of 2020 because the offices were so backed up, right? And they didn't have work. So something that maybe should have only taken four to six weeks took like seven months to get my trademark. And so that was really frustrating and hard. But in that time frame, I did a lot of back work, starting working on the website, starting to work on where I'm going to be sourcing my products, figuring out who I was going to use for silk screening, things like that. And so by the time the trademark came, that's when I had the first hundred all said and done, ready to go. So it took me about nine months start to finish. Could I have sped it up maybe when it came to actually creating the bags? But I couldn't have sped up the trademark. You know, that's kind of out of your hand, you know? So yeah, it took me about eight months and now everything's done. It feels so good just to have that under my belt. And now it's kind of like the sky's the limit. Where do I want to go from here? And then you start figuring out, okay, where's your market? For me, I feel like this will become and is essential back to school supplies. You know what I mean? Like I feel when someone's going shopping back to school for their kids, this is an item that when your daughter hits fifth grade, sixth grade, it's something that you throw in your cart. Oh, yep, I need that. And maybe they want a new one each year, or maybe I'm going to be offering refill bags, kind of like a subscription that they can have everything that's in that bag, and they can just order that to refill so that they've got everything covered once they've used it. So things like that that are still developing and I'm creating, 
but I do feel like it will end up being that type of item. Like you need pencils, you need a ruler, and you need a period kit. <laughs> you know, if you're 50% of that population, you need a period kit. That's awesome. Can you tell us a bit about how you source these products and how you find a place to manufacture them and any detail about that process? Um, yeah, sourcing is not fun. I'm just going to say that right now, you know, especially when you have a vision of something. So I had a vision, okay? And I think the most important part is to be able to step back from your vision and say, what can I do in this moment? And so I have grand plans 50 steps down the road of what my product's going to look like. And, you know, the bag was the hardest part for me. And I don't know why it was so hard. But, you know, I had very specific requirements and it was pretty tough to find at a price point that I could afford and to be able to make bulk, right? And so it's just about making that time to get on the internet, hop on those websites, and it's really hit or miss. I mean, I did so many searches until finally I found a product from a wholesaler that I said, this will work. I knew I wasn't going to start sewing my own bags right off the bat. Like, I do not know how to sew. I have tried, but for some reason, my needle and my thread, they always get all crazy. You know, I don't know if you've ever sewn anything in your life, but it's very stressful for me to try to sew anything. You know, my husband was like, well, if you can't find a bag, let's make a bag. I said, are you crazy? There is no way I am making a bag. (laughs) Not yet anyway. I, you know, I don't have that skill set. But once you find your source, then it's like a dream. You know what I mean? Then it's just like clockwork. I mean, God forbid you're wherever you are getting your product, it doesn't close down or they change something, then you're back, you know, then you got to figure it out. But for me, I had very specific requirements. The bag could not be see-through, which I don't know if you've ever searched three ring pencil pouches, they're all see-through. I mean, really, really they are. Probably because they want to be able to see what pen or pencil they're grabbing, right? So I get it. Or they had a mesh pocket, or they had the center was see-through, or they didn't have colors that I think a girl would be able to connect to, or the fabric was too thin. I needed a thicker fabric that would maintain its shape and hold up Throughout the school year, I needed it to not be see-through. I needed the colors to be right. So there were just a lot of factors for me, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. You know, it's out there. It will be out there. So that, I think, is a matter of just being persistent. You know, I've worked for many skincare lines in my life, and I had to source packaging and bottles for certain skincare. And so I kind of already had a little bit of a background of just that investigating nature, what's going to work, what's not going to work, right? And you fail sometimes. And that's okay. You know, I would find these bottles or applicators that I said, okay, this might work. And I would send it to who I was working for and they would shoot it down. No, we want something different. We want glass. We don't want acrylic or we want a pump. We don't want a spray. Okay. So just being willing to take that time and find really what you want. Try to find as close to what you really want the first time. It doesn't need to be perfect. And that's where I had to come to in order to jump off and do my very first hundred. I had to say, okay, 
how close can I get it to my ideal of perfect? You know, that doesn't mean I'm done. And you don't have to say you're done. I think people say, well, if I make that choice, then this is what my product is. No, you will evolve. All businesses evolve. You know, you see people change their logo, their marketing, how they do things. All businesses evolve. Yours can too, even on a small scale. I love how you talked about, you know, taking your time to do your research and do it step by step. I think for a lot of people, it's easy to get overwhelmed and give up when one thing doesn't go right. And you had mentioned your packaging. I think part of a successful product is having that vision to know what are the non-negotiables, the essence of the product. And as a second part to that, I just wanted to say for everyone listening, when you're trying to think of something that's very, very useful to the world and where you can add value, I would say Maggie's a great example. Look at all the skills she's used to help her put this together. So working with suppliers and finding the right materials and things like that, it's almost a superpower. So I definitely admire that in you. I think being able to see these skills and say, I can do that, and then going to do it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And never lose sight. For me, having the experience I have and having two girls, never lose sight of who you're trying to help. What's driving you? I look at all these girls going back to school. I know how hard it is to find who you are and be secure and be confident. And I never want any of these kids to have to experience that where they have that moment of utter embarrassment. You know, I want them to be confident in this. The second they step on that school campus or whether they're at home, I feel like I have this drive and this desire to reach out and really make a way for parents to be able to connect with their kids on this level and help parents be the catalyst. You know what I mean? Like we can do this as parents and we can bring security to our kids' life, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be that hard. And it doesn't have to be that embarrassing, you know, especially with girls. I'm sure there is something totally different on the boys' side that I have not encountered. And I probably would never have the experiences with that because I'm not a boy. But you have to always keep in mind, who are you helping? You know, never lose sight of that. I feel like when we lose sight of that, then it just becomes business. And I never want it to just become business. I want to impact people's lives. I want to impact the parent. I want to impact the child. I want to help that single dad who maybe is a little lost on how to have that discussion or maybe help that mom whose child is very, very shy and embarrassed. I want to help them build that bridge to where it's not scary and it's not weird to talk about. You know, how do I get there? I'll get there. And that's part of the journey. I want to leave this world and say, who did I help? Who did I help in that small way? I want to help my girls, but I don't just want to help my girls. I want to help hundreds of thousands of girls. You know, I want to bring awareness to it. In my wildest dreams, this product would go to other countries that maybe this topic isn't discussed at all or to help educate girls who they don't even have these available. You know what I mean? Other countries, other nationalities, whoever. I would love to be able to do that. Am I there yet? No. Does that mean I can't get there? No. I think we all have this rush on what, how, if, if the business doesn't succeed in X amount of time, it's dead. 
we put these borders around ourselves, you know what I mean? Instead of just like leaving it like an open gate, just leave the gate open and move at your pace, figure out what that next step is. Even if you only do, let's say three things a week that you feel like you're going to build your business, do them. And then maybe next week you do five or maybe you do one. But just to give your own self grace, it is not for the faint of heart to build a business because you're really putting your heart out there. You're really putting what you created for criticism for the whole world. Somebody can go on my website and hate it. You know what I mean? It would just break my heart because it's my little business baby, right? I mean, it's everything I ever hoped it would be. But then to say, okay, move on, keep growing, keep going. So I think we all just need to give ourselves a little grace when it comes to being entrepreneurs and learning how to build a business. We don't have all the answers. That's why we connect with people outside of ourselves and we bounce ideas off and we create a little network of people who we trust. And I think that's important, but not to put yourself in a box where you say, okay, if I'm not making $200,000 in profits by X amount of time, I'm done then you probably weren't in business for the right reason. You know, you probably didn't have that thing that was driving your passion. Like, I believe there's a need for this. And I believe that there isn't a need for them to have to go through that embarrassing moment. We can support them. We can bring this education and we can make it a little bit easier. Is it going to be easy? No, periods aren't easy and they're not fun. But can we make it a little bit less traumatic? Absolutely. Your passion really comes through. And even when you first started, it's about how to help these young girls, right? So they can have a better first experience. It's already difficult at any age for them, but let alone their very first time. And not knowing what to do, the scare, the embarrassment, they shouldn't be, but they don't know that. They're very unaware of what to do. So you being able to be there and just provide that one extra thing in their life that can just make their life or experience a bit better and won't have that traumatic first experience. They will never forget it. But because you were able to find that need and provide a product, it really comes through here. And it's been absolutely wonderful with what you've shared so far. Thank you so much. I know I have a hard time not just rambling on because I, you know, I have to tell myself, okay, don't talk so much because I have so many thoughts about it. And I've been working on it for the past almost two years now. And so now that I have finally been able to launch a product and show it to the world, it's pretty exciting when you finally get to that point. I mean, definitely anybody who is going into business, whether you're starting an electrical company or a landscaping company or creating a product, there's a need for be proud of yourself for that first sale that you've got something off the ground, even if it's small, you know, give yourself a pat on the back because it's much easier just to go to work for someone. It's much easier. But on the other side, when you put in that work and you develop that business, like you said, that freedom you gain, that passion you have, that drive, nothing can beat it. Nothing can beat it. That weekly paycheck that you get from your job is never going to bring you that as you building something for yourself. That's a great way of looking at it. And I really do see how a dollar that you earn for yourself means so much more than a dollar 
it's giving to you because there's a huge distinction between owning your time and renting your time, which is even if you have an executive salary, you make good money, you still have someone to report to. You're still on call, email and phones and the expectations of companies and customers to always be online. I think it's very, very hard to escape that. But there's something unique about being able to say, I just sold my first customer or I just sold my 10th. And to me, there's no timeline for that. It could be two in the morning. It could be eight in the morning. It really doesn't matter. That excitement persists. And I think that is a unique quality of entrepreneurship that really stands out to me is making a difference. And as you said, changing one person's life is enough. Even changing your own life, I think perspective, you know, the perspective you get and the humility from being able to walk yourself through the process and actually learn something is super valuable. And I would like to say, you know, not everybody has the ability to quit their job and jump into business because we all have bills to pay. We have to be able to supplement that income until, you know, our business is going. I mean, I had to do the same. I had to continue working for, you know, my skincare lines and I was a sales rep. I had to continue doing that until, you know, you can obviously make the transition. And I think that's okay. And I think that's part of, like I said, grace, because if when you're having to work 40 hours and then you're trying to build a business on the side, it's going to take you a little bit longer to then be able to switch to being a full-time entrepreneur on your own and give yourself some room. Give yourself some extra time if, if you're the type of person in that place. We aren't all born where we're in a financial situation where we can just quit everything to go and build a business. I certainly was not. I'm just really, really impressed with everything you shared with us so far and wish you all the success in the future. We'd love to have you back on with any updates you have. So where can everyone find you? Do you have any social media, Twitter? Where can people follow along? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. And then also I did start, see, I am terrible. That is my biggest flaw is social media. Okay. It is not my favorite place to be. That feels like true work to me. Like I said, promoting and putting your name out there. I want to just like speak at schools. I want to speak to PTAs. I want to talk to girls. I want to be in front of people. You know, it's very difficult for me to do the social media, but I do have an Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I haven't gone down the route of a YouTube yet. That is in the works. I'm planning on it. I'm trying to get brave enough to do it. So at this point, you know, you can find my product at blushemergencyperiodkit.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at blushemergencyperiodkit and kind of follow along. I try to post pics and stories and things of that nature. But that's definitely one area of my business I still need to grow. And I think it's good to always be growing and think about what that next step is. There are people who they're born marketers. That's not going to be hard for them to do. They might have a problem actually taking that A to B step and figuring out how to get to market. But then once they do that, they're marketing geniuses. You know what I mean? That's not their struggle. For me, that is where I have a harder time is that kind of social media aspect. It's just not my favorite. Awesome, Maggie. Thank you once again. This has been an amazing hour full of very insightful information. I'm just blown away at how far you've come 
with everything. So definitely keep in touch. I think you guys are great for even tackling this podcast and bringing on people who can bring that insight to young entrepreneurs. And I really thank you for having me on. Thank you, Maggie. Absolute joy. Thank you so much. Okay, so till next time, guys. Thanks again, Maggie. Talk to you soon. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.